we went old school there. That's the that's the uh, that's the intro we use for the very first uh, Mixed Picks podcast, and this is the very first Mixed Picks podcast featuring a guest, uh, Don's husband, Don from Rad Radio. Gary uh, joins us this morning. Morning, Gary. Hello. How you doing? Uh, and of course, uh, Steve Mickelson from MixedPicks.com, Two Ks and Mix, Two Ks and Picks is down in uh, Las Vegas with us. Good morning, Steve. Not seeing Gary. Where is he at? I want to say hi. <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we uh, with this current setup, we aren't able to show you Gary uh, without changing things up and making it look all weird Boo. on Rad yeah. TV. Yeah, you know we're 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 a, we're a bare bones operation around here, uh, uh, Steve. So uh, uh, you'll be able to see me, I guess, right? You yep. can see me. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be that'll be normal, uh, and that's why a lot of it'll be I'll I'll use names to identify who's going to talk, so we're not stepping all over. But in fact, in fact, guys, uh, before we do anything, we have breaking news. Uh, if people are listening live uh, on Wednesday morning, it was just announced uh, that New York Jets quarterback Aaron. Rodgers has been cleared to return to practice. Uh, that's exactly 11 weeks after surgery to repair his torn Achilles. The Jets have 21 days to decide whether to activate Rodgers. And this has been a, a, a growing story because it, it, he keeps talking about coming back. And Steve, you and I talked, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that it, it, you, whatever people feel about Aaron Rodgers, it's remarkable that he has recovered this quickly. But let's pick up where the last time we were, Steve. The Jets are 4-7. and seven. They have a four-game losing streak. Uh, and, and Aaron Rodgers on Tuesday on his podcast emphasized that the stakes will matter. Well, he, he's targeting the Christmas Eve game. The Jets aren't going to be in it. So I'm wondering how much the stakes will matter because this feels like an Aaron Rodgers ego move to me. Like he wants to be the guy to say, look how quickly I came back from this if he does force the Jets to let him play. Well, I give him credit. He He's back long before anybody thought he would be back. And if he can actually prove it and take the field and show us, you know, that's a lot of hard work, a lot of looking into all the different ways to recover and and get back on the field. So he, he's done his homework and, uh, you know, he's done a great job with it. So, yes, that feeds into his ego. On the other hand, by Christmas Eve, the Jets are going to be out of it. I, I mean, there's no real reason to rush him at that point. And what the Jets win their last two games of the season, you know, that just hurts their draft position. It does show Aaron Rodgers can still play in the NFL. But the the part I take out of this is he's going to play next year. There, I, I don't believe there's any way he's not going to. I thought when the injury happened, that would be it. He didn't owe anything to the Jets, to their fans. It was just kind of, you know, at my age, do I really want to recover and go through all the therapy and the hard work that it takes to recover from this injury he's shown he already has and i'm not doing that if i'm not playing next year so i, I think that's the good part that you got to look at it from the jets let them rest let them get healthy bring them back next year the uh, the jets have already like almost publicly said too they want to go after Devonte adams his, his favorite receiver in the in the offseason if the raiders would consider letting him go and Gary I can't remember because you and I talk and text like every day so Steve and I have, have talked over the last year we've we've soured a little bit on Aaron Rodgers I don't want to speak for Steve but you know there was a point where he was when he was just the 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 what is he state farm guy originally um it, it, he he was he was likable and and then it's just a bunch of things it's not just it's not it's not the vaccine it's not the hair it's not the weird going away in a cave it's everything um and I don't know if you're in that same spot, but I agree with everything Steve said. Can't take away his recovery here. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I am, you know, he's just there. That's all it is for me now. I, I feel neither way about him. You know, I, I think it would be great for the Jets fans if he did come back this year. I think it would be uh, encouraging for the team as well. 
possibly even for Devontae Adams to actually see that, yeah, Rodgers can still play at the end of this year. It might be worth coming to New York next year. So I think there's definitely some interest in, in that side of it. I'd like to see him come back and play. There has been a lot of talk from Jets players when he came back to the facility that it put, it put some a boost in them. And the, you guys are making great points about why it would be a cool thing. I think this is my bias of Aaron Rodgers where I'm yeah. sitting there going, he just wants to show off. And maybe he should because of what Steve said. Uh, there are lots of ways to, to heal from these things. Now, Gary, you're you're a Sacramento Kings fan. I am. Uh, have been from the beginning, right? Yep. Uh, so last night, did you, did you get to see that ending? I, I watched the entire game, yeah. Uh, Malik Monk squared up Andrew Wiggins, got himself just inside the free throw line, and off balance, shoved the ball up with one hand, banked it in. Kings uh, beat the Warriors 124-123 to because Steph Curry couldn't pull off another uh, game winner. So uh, first, first, that's the first thing, first thing. Gary, what do you think of the Kings as a fan? And after they, they had their rejuvenation last year, what are you seeing from them this year so far? So far, I, you know, I really like this team a lot. I think we are a player short right now. I would definitely like to see another big man in there, especially in the power forward slot. You know, Sabonis is, is great. Our backup center, you know, is 35 years old, I think. And Alex Lynn is really not that great anymore either, so... You know, overall, I really like where the team's at, but we definitely need somebody else that can be a strong rebounder and go back up and, and really take the ball back to the hole like Sabonis does. Uh, so the Kings are now 10-6. and six. They play again tonight. They host uh, the Clippers. And the win last night leads us right to uh, David's email. Uh, you can email us during the show at any time, rad at radradio.com. And he says, what the hell is this in-season tournament? Can this be discussed on the Wednesday podcast? Now, Steve, you and I, you walked me through this a few podcasts ago, and after you did, my question to you was, why do we care? Have you figured out why we as fans care about this in-season tournament? No. You know, the teams that win, the players get, I believe it's $500,000 a piece, so they're playing for the money, but understand what? The average salary in the NBA is like $6 million, and granted, $500,000 is, you know, not just pocket change. I mean, it everyone wants to win that i think the loser gets two hundred thousand. i think all the playoff teams get like a hundred thousand but on the whole no and actually one of the things that irritated me with the game last night and and hats off to the king i mean malik monk's shot that he made for the game winner was unbelievable i mean this was as <laughs> off balance as you could get basically throwing it you know like right-handed sidearm <laughs> off the backboard I, I i mean it was an incredible shot but the announcers and they have to because that's part of what the nba is asking all we kept hearing was oh well the warriors just have to lose by 11 or less and the i'm sorry the warriors need to win the game by 12 or more the kings can either win or or lose by 11 or less i, I know that gambling is illegal I, I know that it is in 34 states but they've gone from gambling's you know, taboo to even mention on TV to where they're kind of encouraging. Are we going to see the Warriors play to cover the spread or <laughs> are we going to see the Kings just look, we know we can lose this game, but we just can't lose by 11, you know, and it just, to me, it got old just listening to it. Just play the game. And that is what this is all about. Uh, and, and not everybody get. We had a couple emails that come in during the regular show this morning. Oh, I can't wait to see the Kings win the trophy. Who cares? That it's it's meaningless. And Gary, you're the one that actually turned me on to this tournament in the beginning. And and 
I, I didn't really get into it. And then when Steve and I got into it, I, I texted you I, like that day. I think I said, yeah. what is the point? What am I missing? And then it seems like last or this morning you came, you, you have come to my conclusion that, because here's how this works. Sorry, just for people that are going, what are you talking about? The Indiana Pacers will host the Celtics. The Pelicans will travel to face the Kings. The Knicks play at the Bucks. The Suns take on the Lakers. The winners of each of those quarterfinal games advance to the semifinals. The winner gets to lift the NBA Cup for the first time, and yes, they earn half a million dollars for every player. That's it. There's nothing else. It doesn't affect your team, doesn't affect the season, doesn't affect, doesn't help them get to the postseason. Or it's, it's, it's all to highlight sports betting. Got it. But it's meaningless to the fans otherwise. Yeah, I think, and I, I think I actually uncovered something yesterday. That the, the real reason I think the NBA is doing this is that most fans don't feel the NBA season starts until around Christmas Day when they have like eight games in one day and they just go on and on and on. So these early season games don't get a lot of attention. There's not much visibility on TV. People aren't watching them. So they're really trying to drive the interest in this. But like you said, unfortunately, there's nothing that they're playing for outside of a stupid cup and some money. You know, at least there's no impact on the end of the season with the exception that up until the championship game, all of these games are counted as regular season games as well. Right. And so it just, you know, there's no oomph there to really keep me invested as a fan at this point. I mean, come up with something like, like and, and I don't know what would be equitable, but something like you're guaranteed a, a play in game if you don't make the playoffs. I don't know what, what, what the other gimmicky thing could be, but then at least, because look, I get the marketing side of it, not only to highlight gambling, yep. but yes, to boost ratings. You're competing against the NFL. You got hockey. You got the holidays. It's early, and it is. It is way early. It, it's it, it, for for basketball. Uh, so I get all of that. It's just in the end, real fans are like what? I, I don't. I mean, bragging rights, I, I guess. Um, Steve, what what? Now the Golden State Warriors. Okay, uh, the, these are not the same Warriors. The uh, they they started out six and two. And after ranking the top 10 offensively through their first eight games, the Warriors have plummeted to 25th uh, over what was their past nine. That was before last night's game. And they went two and seven uh, with a six-game losing streak. Steph Curry was out. Curry's back. Green was back from his suspension last night. The Warriors are are, – is this just a bump in the road? Or are there more problems? Because I I see see some other problems down the road with Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and more. I hear you, but sorry, I'm going to jump back on you, back to the cup. Oh, sure. Cup. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, first of all, the tournament, as you mentioned, is to draw interest. The season's too long. There's no interest in this. But if you really look at it, this basketball cup is set up as European soccer, the Champions <laughs> League, etc. Mm-hmm. This is what it's designed to try to copy. Well, if that's really where you want to go, make it the World Cup of Basketball. Invite all the teams from all across the world to play. And I know, you know, do we really want to watch Spain play and Turkey play and these others? But if that's your goal, you're basing it on like a World Cup of soccer that you play in this, invite everybody in. You're going to get, for the NBA, serious money because now it goes worldwide and we're watching these players from Greece and all that other stuff. You're going to have some interest. I would love to believe that a team from the NBA is going to win this without a doubt, but you open it up to the world market, the world television revenue, which more than pays for this and expands your product to the world 
not just in the U.S. And I know we tend to look at things as basketball for the U.S., but again, it's a big business. It's about the money. And if you really wanted to do this right and you wanted to stick with this format, which the current format to me is a waste of everybody's time, open it up, make it the America's Basketball Cup, whatever you want to call it, and open up the world to it because then you have the revenue from all over the world, the TV revenue and the interest worldwide to draw to your product. So against that, or counter-argument against that, though, Steve, is that the best of the best from around the world are in the NBA. So why wouldn't Giannis want to go play for Greece? Why wouldn't Sabonis want to go play for his country? Uh, you know, the guys that play that are from Australia, they would probably want to represent their own country in those games, similar to what they do with the baseball, what do they call it? It's not the World Series of Baseball. It's the, you know, where they we, they invite yeah. everybody from around the world, and each player goes to their own separate country's team, and then they come back at the end. So I just, I don't know how that would work other than, you know, to keep it as an NBA, NBA focus, I think that's difficult to do. Um, I I personally would love to see this go into a single elimination format, sort of like the NCAA tournament, and maybe figure out a way to give to go that route because that to me then would make a lot more buying because every game matters at that point and obviously there still needs to be something at the end of the tournament that's worth playing for other than a stupid cup so i'm 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 also just and i don't know if this is my provincialism or what i'm tired of all this internationalizing of our sports you know the nfl has been they keep and steve you and i have talked about this for the for years you've you've got inside connections i've got different ones the europeans don't care that game in germany was a joke you i mean that one they didn't even fill it up with free tickets and and this and you you are absolutely right steve from the money side and i'm worried that you might be onto something that the NBA might be considering that's where they want to go uh, with with this. Can we circle back to the, the Warriors now? Or oh, one a- more thing? absolutely. You know, the Warriors, this is a funny team. I, I like the Warriors. I enjoy watching them. You know, we watched last night. that They have problems with their turnovers. In the past, they were the best shooting team, hands down, in the NBA. So they were over able to overcome their turnovers that they have. They have fouls. It just, the chemistry's not quite there. I mean, there's people asking, you know, Clay Thompson hasn't been the same player since he's come back. You know, Wiggins at times is brilliant at times, just looks disinterested. And I'm sorry, Draymond Green's act has gotten old with me. I'm just tired of it. You know, he put player in a headlock got suspended he just came back from his suspension we watched him get teed up again last night arguing with the refs not that i felt that he should have got the technical but you know to me draymond green's act has just gotten old uh it worked when they were winning they're no longer winning and the the warriors aren't the team they used to be it it just they're no longer hands down the best shooting team in the nba uh sources tell espn that uh wiggins remember he missed two months last season over we still don't know what an undisclosed personal matter and the sources say he didn't take any time necessary to get back into shape and then you've got clay thompson who's almost publicly saying that he is completely distracted by contract negotiations that are weighing on him and that's just going to keep dragging him down uh, uh, throughout the season. Do you think, Gary, is this the end of the Warriors dynasty in, in this form? Uh, you know, I, I I really think it is at this point. This team is basically done. Uh, this 
they might have a late season run. You know, it's still early in the season. They're, are they really putting their full heart into every game right now? Um, you know, I just definitely agree with Steve on Draymond. I'm, I'm tired of his act as well. I do agree also that the first the technical that he got yesterday shouldn't got called for, but he should have got a technical for the what he did after that when he went and stared down the ref right in his face. Um, and they basically let that one slide. So, but yeah, this Warriors team is is pretty much done at this point. So, Steve, do you think, what do you think of, of uh, Steve Kerr? Does he pull a Popovich and stick around and rebuild? Or does this whole thing come crumbling down? Or do you disagree and, and the Warriors are still okay? I think the Warriors are okay. I, I don't think they are one of the top four or five teams in the NBA anymore. And that's a reality I don't think the Warriors have come to grips to. Uh, you, you know, they, they still think they are the elite team and can turn it on at any time and beat anybody. And I just don't think that's the case. Uh, uh, Steve Kerr, you know, Popovich just shocked me. I really thought he would walk away several years ago when the team became not very good. Live <coughs> he <podcast>. has <laughs> shown his desire to, you know, stay into coach. And, and I'd love to see Kerr stay because you don't want your legacy to just be like we're watching with Belichick. Mm. Oh, the only reason you won is because of Tom Brady. Oh, the only reason you were able to win was Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, you know, Kevin Durant, et cetera. So I'd like to see him stick around. And I'm not saying Curry's going anywhere, but they're going to have to go to a rebuild with the Warriors. So uh, if, you, if they're not one of the, say, top four or five teams in the NBA, as you say, who, who, who are you looking at for the long run uh, this season as your, your teams to watch and probably make the finals? I, I still like Denver. I think the Nuggets have a strong, you know, starting five. The Celtics could have the best team for the whole roster in the league. I, I like the Celtics. You, you know, I, I keep waiting for Phoenix to do something. You know, they've won seven straight now. Maybe they've corrected the ship and they'll get going. The Timberwolves, to me, has been a really big surprise. We expected a lot more out of them last year with, uh, you know, the trades they made and going big. They're finally paying off. And so those are kind of the teams that I put at the top. I'm not sold on the Lakers. You know, the Lakers have been playing really well as of late. They're above 500 now. I'm just not sold that LeBron and this team can – get it done and sorry laker fans that that is basically my mishmash of of team did we miss anything in there gary uh, you know no steve actually covered most of it you know it's it, boston and milwaukee from the east for me are the two standout teams philly's actually showing like they've got a decent team put together this year and then orlando's actually kind of surprising me right now as well they've got six guys that are scoring double digits and they're really playing consistent basketball um from the West, no no changes there. Denver's by far the front runner, and Phoenix Phoenix should be up there, but they just they can't get it done in the playoffs, and just seem to fall short every year. So uh, we've got an email here. If people want to circle back to the in season tournament, uh, Nick wrote in and said the winner of the NBA tournament should get. Oh, here's a cool, cute idea: guaranteed first round home court advantage in the playoffs, even over a better record team. Uh, the players get the five hundred thousand, but also a better shot to knock off a team with a better record that's not bad that's something the fans could care about it's a good starting point steve okay so you're gonna tell me like the indiana pacers should be the number one seed <laughs> out of the east and this team may not even make the playoffs yes with 10 teams going now chances are they will but oh what happens if it ends up being a team that doesn't even qualify the playoffs and not only that you're giving them the number one seed and a first round bye 
That's why I called it a starting point. You know, a brainstorm. Yeah, you know, just throw out your ideas. Um, here's okay. Here's a switching gears. Here's a, a fun story for uh, for three middle aged guys. Uh, tomorrow, a Tiger Woods, the 15 time major champion. Uh, is going to step back onto the golf course for the first time since withdrawing and limping out of uh, the Masters. Uh, he says the intense pain in his right ankle and foot are gone, uh, and he will start the uh, the uh, Hero World Challenge, which he hosts. And he said in his uh, press conference yesterday that he has improved his health, which will allow him to play about a tournament every month. So we know, you know, the four majors if he stays healthy, and then, you know, he's going to pick eight big ones he's 48 on december 30th and we all watched that the most recent comeback and uh gary you and i whenever tiger plays we watch yep. and and we're texting each other and i know we want to see the old man one more time remind us that we can still do it because we're all basically the, in that age demo it it's it's hard for me to believe that Tiger's got one more in him. It's, it, I, I love the legacy with Charlie. Charlie is Tiger, yeah. his, his kid. I, I mean, in every way. And that's that's where the story goes next. At this point, I don't expect anything of Tiger, but I, I'm just happy if he makes the cut. Yeah, I'll be. I'll just be happy to see him playing again. You know, this last surgery that he just had, he had his ankle fused. You know, everything that he's had done. There's, I think I saw an image today that showed every injury that he's had. It's over like 30 different injuries that he's dealt with. God in his career, which, I mean, if you go back and look at his swing in his young days, he, I mean, he put his entire body into it. So it's understandable what he's gone through, but you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm ready for Charlie. I, I, I want to see, <laughs> I want to see Tiger keep getting into his head and keep building him into the golfer that he's going to be in the future and, and just, you know, move forward with the next woods. And it is such a great story. It too, is. If, if it happened now, Steve, you have been very open about bemoaning, uh, the changes in the body as we age. And I think you even said on the air uh, one one time when we were talking that everything changed for you, it was 50. It was like everything is just new pains, new hurt. Now imagine being 48 and having more injuries than the average NFL player. Do Is, is there any hope for anything from Tiger other than just showing up? I think all of us as fans want to see it. Uh, the World Hero Challenge only has 20 golfers. Hey, maybe he can make a run here. Uh Look good, and it's amazing, though, from the sportsbook aspect. <laughs> Every time Tiger plays, there is so much interest in that. This is a nothing golf <laughs> tournament, and already we have more money bet on Tiger Woods than any other golfer. It just it doesn't end. It's great to watch, great to see. I hope he's competitive this weekend and plays into it. I don't expect him to win, but, man, it would be nice to see him up on the leaderboard and, and actually have a shot to win the tournament because that's what everybody wants to see. Are those straight bets for Tiger to win the tournament? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was I was going to say that, you know, Tiger right now does not have a caddy because LaCava went over <laughs> to Patrick Cannelly's bag. So right now, Tiger's caddy for this tournament is his business partner that helps him run the Tiger Woods Foundation. So he'll be on the bag for Tiger this weekend. And then the other thing I found interesting from yesterday's interview with Tiger is Tiger says he feels like his goal right now is to play one tournament a month. I mean, that's... It's not Tiger-esque. It's not Tiger-esque, but at the same time, it's like, that's not... We haven't seen that in at least the last two or three years, right? Right. And so, I mean... <laughs> we'll it, take what it, we can get. Yeah. I mean, at least commit to maybe six tournaments, but right. 12 just seems like a lot for him right now, but is there I'll a, be happy. Is there a child labor reason why they can't switch roles and have Charlie caddy for uh, for Tiger? They actually asked about caddy uh, Tiger... Charlie caddying for Tiger 
And Tiger said that uh, that Charlie can't skip that much school. So <laughs> you're Charlie Woods. I don't mind. Uh, the, the other thing that he said yesterday too uh, was uh, after uh, the the European team announced that uh, Luke Donald will return as the Ryder Cup captain. The 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 rumor has been Tiger is next up. Uh, he said that he was non-committal about the possibility. He cited this other weird tour that he and Rory are working on that we'll have to talk about down the road or whatever. Uh, so I don't know if he's playing coy or or, or who else might be uh, in that mix. But that, that could be the other thing where we might see uh, Tiger. And, and at least the, the Americans are going to have a chance because they'll be back in America because they can't win when, when it's not in when it's not in America. Um, now, Steve, you sent me a very interesting text earlier this week. You have a rumor that you want to start because when you texted me, I said, okay, where did you get that? Did, did you? Because I, I, I got your text and I started Googling and I couldn't find anything. That anyway, and I still haven't, haven't seen this particular rumor. So is this a prediction or just something you want to start to stir the crap? Uh, this is just my thoughts. I, uh, it's not out anywhere. It was just, you know, the Buffalo Bills, arguably one of the be- best rosters in the NFL. But to me, their window is closing Josh Allen doesn't have the help he needs. They need a second wide receiver. The defense has had some injuries. But what if the Bills moved on and and got rid of their coach and brought Jim Harbaugh to Buffalo? That would be exciting. You bring Harbaugh football, which would fit right in with the Buffalo, the cold weather. And, you know, the Bills roster isn't that far away. They continue to rebuild it a little bit. I, I just... You know, you're going to Chicago because, what, you got a couple of early draft picks and you played with the Bills. You know, you could go to the Colts because you played with the Colts. You you know, I, I would see the Raiders as a much better viable option just because I'm going to Las Vegas. You, you know, it is the center of attention now. But the Buffalo Bills, if you're Harbaugh, Aren't you looking at that? And I do think there's some friction in Michigan. You know, a few years back when Michigan couldn't beat Ohio State, they had Harbaugh take a huge pay cut. I mean, I want to say they cut a salary by half. I don't know if it was one of those, look, we're going to cut your pay, go ahead and walk away. But he took it, said, hey, not a problem. I'll take it. I will show that I'm worth it. And right before the suspension, they had reached, my understanding, a contract extension for him. And then when all of this with the the person, you know, doing these watching games, you know, on the road, they put that contract extension on hold. So if you're Harbaugh, you're kind of a little irritated to Michigan at this point. Look, I've now beat Ohio State three times. You couldn't beat them in the 12 years before, you know, the last three years. You know, does he look at going to the NFL? And if I'm going, I'd rather have Josh Allen in the Buffalo Bills roster than the Bears. So, I mean, Harbaugh will have, if he wants to go to the NFL, he will have whatever pick he wants of of teams. But there has to be an opening first. And Sean McDermott has got the Bills at 6-6. Six and six. They're 10th in the conference standings, a half game behind the Colts, the Texans, and the Broncos. With all of that talent, he's... I mean, he, they, they got to go deep into the playoffs, even to save that job, right? I think so. And we've all watched Marty Schottenheimer, you know, not good enough. You couldn't get to the Super Bowl. Did a great job with the Cleveland Browns, you know, lost to Elway and, and the fumble. 
you know, many years ago, had the Chargers right there, and all the deep back had to do is go down, and he fumbled the Tom Brady interception, and the Patriots got the ball back to knock the Chargers out. The the Bills, their window's closing. The, the coach has shown he cannot win the big game. So at a certain point, if your goal is to win the Super Bowl, you got to look at move on. And and I, the, the look – I don't know a team that wouldn't want Harbaugh. That, that I mean, it it's goes back to what Steve is talking about. He he gets the pick of the litter. The the thing that I would want to see about it is what Steve's alluding to, Gary, is I'm I'm not sold on Josh Allen. And I can't tell if that's a coaching problem or a Josh Allen problem. Yes, I know we've seen him play great, but we so with Daniel Jones had a great season too. And then okay, great. Good job, Giants. That big contract. Yeah, uh, Josh Allen just can't win one score games. I think he's like two and 13 or something in his career in one score games now. And he's also 0 and seven in overtime. He, you know, he just couldn't get it done against uh, Philadelphia over the last weekend. And so, you know, it's, I, I'm not sure if it's a Josh Allen uh, problem or not. He seems to execute the offense very well through four quarters for the most part, but come down to the end of the game and he's still not getting it done. Now, uh, every job opening that occurs in the NFL, and we don't know if there'll be another one until uh, Black Monday uh, when the season ends, Harbaugh's going to be one of the first names mentioned uh, in, until we know something else, until he signs an extension or, or, or whatever. So, of course, we have a job opening in the NFL, and Harbaugh's being mentioned for the Carolina Panthers. Would that be a good fit? It's a good fit for the Panthers, but I'm, would that be a good fit for Jim Harbaugh, Steve? No, I, I don't believe it's a good fit for any head coach that – is an experienced head coach. And again, this goes back to something I've said many times on the show. It, it falls to ownership. It, it, it's bad ownership. Well, what have they had? Seven head coaches, I think, since 2019. Why would you want to be the head coach there if you're qualified to coach in the NFL and you've had the opportunity? I get that. Look, there's only 32 head coach jobs. I've never been a head coach. Yes, I would take the job in Carolina in a heartbeat. But if you're Jim Harbaugh, why are you going to a disaster of a franchise? Because you may never get another head coaching job again. And and sometimes sometimes the answer to that question is because their egos are so big, they believe they can be the guy to turn around this unbelievable story. But there's a there's a prob, there's a wrench in this whole thing. The owner, who is an idiot, David Tepper, he has said many times, and he just said recently, that the biggest mistake he made was hiring a CEO-type coach. Well, that's what Harbaugh has in Michigan. That's what Harbaugh wants. And the other name that's out there, the other name that a bunch of people dropped for the, for the, for the Panthers job, because he's going to move on, people are starting to say more and more, is Belichick. And Belichick wants – Belichick needs all that control too. So to me, those are ridiculous names for the Panthers job anyways. Uh, absolutely. And one of the texts I sent you last Sunday was – Whoever made the decision in Carolina to draft Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud should be fired. Well, we watched Frank Reich get fired. And the stories have come out that Frank Reich, right up to the draft and even on draft day, really wanted C.J. Stroud. The owner pulled the plug on it. He went with Bryce Young. There you go. Frank Reich gets fired, and he didn't get the quarterback he wanted. And He's out. Uh, and uh, uh, David Tepper addressed that in his uh, news conference on Tuesday. He stood by the team's decision to draft quarterback Bryce Young with the top pick. Uh, and he said, quote, Bryce was almost, wait, I believe it was a unanimous decision from the coaches and the scouts. And I can't really believe much that 
that David Tepper uh, says. I, I, Gary, I don't know how much Bryce Young you've seen. Uh, I mean, uh, Steve and I are so high on, on C.J. Stroud, which yeah. we're going to talk more about him in a bit. But is it too soon to bury uh, uh, Bryce Young? I, you know, I, he's, he's, he's got a tough team to be playing on as well, though, right? I mean, Carolina just has no offense this year. I can't put that all on the quarterback. You know, I think Bryce Young, we got to give him at least through year two. He's not dealing with an injury like uh, Trey Lance was last year Last year uh, with the Niners. And so, and then obviously we had uh, Purdy step up and, and really show that, you know, Trey Lance doesn't need to be on the team. So, I, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm willing to give him another year and see what he does in year number two. But they do need to add some players to that team and help protect him better and also, you know, show what the offense can do there. I mean, Christian McCaffrey was terrible there in his <laughs> yeah. last few years, right? I mean, and look at what he's doing for the 49ers, a team that actually has an offensive line. And, Steve, uh, so the, the name that, that a lot of people are legitimately throwing out there because they're always going to mention uh, Harbaugh and, and Belichick, uh, and that you're going you're gonna to have to deal with this as a Lions fan, and the Lions are having a great season, people are going to target your, coor- your coordinators, is uh, Ben Johnson, your, your offensive coordinator for the Lions, who was the front runner for the role last year before he bowed out, before he even did an interview, the rumor is he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to work for this guy. I'm not even going to interview him. Ben Johnson and of course Eric Bieniemy gets mentioned all the time. Um, do you have somebody be, that would be a good fit in in Carolina, or is it such an ownership problem? Just forget it. I think it's such an ownership problem. Forget it. I, again, if you're Ben Johnson, hey, look, I got one of 32 jobs. I mean, that's very coveted. But is it going to be a career killer for you to be a head coach? And that's one of the things you have to consider going into it. I know he has ties in the area, and, and I'm hoping as a Lions fan, he doesn't go and take the job. If I'm the Lions, I'm ponying up a few more million a year. You know, maybe I make him the highest paid assistant coach in the NFL and say, you know, look, that's not the right job. When the right job comes, I understand, and I wish you all the best of luck, but this isn't the job you really want. I, I just, I always fall back to ownership. And, and, you know, I talk about the Raiders head coaching job, but you know, has Mark Davis really shown that he knows what it's going to take to allow the franchise to be successful or is he going to continue to tear it down, you know, and not on purpose. He'd, he he wants nothing more than the Raiders to win. It's just these owners sometimes can't get out of their own way. There's a story that, that came out two, yesterday, I think it was. It's gimmicky, but I, I'm, I'm not predicting it, but I, it has legs. Because of David Tepper being an idiot and a control freak, and this job is not an attractive job, as has been laid out here, but it is one of 32 head coaching jobs, and it's an opportunity for somebody who otherwise would never be considered for a head coaching position to be a head coach. And again, it's gimmicky, but he's publicly said, Greg Olson, the former Panthers tight end, who's the lead analyst, he does the game of the week uh, every week uh, on, on Fox. Has made it clear he is interested in becoming the full-time coach of the Panthers. He has no coaching experience in college or the NFL. He just played. He has coached his son's Pop Warner team. And he hears Tom Brady's footsteps in the background, who's going to replace him next year uh, as the lead color analyst. It is gimmicky, Gary, but it, 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 it and we saw the Jeff Saturday uh, experiment uh, in, in Indianapolis, right? And, and uh, But... But but I can see this being a fit and a disaster all at once. Yeah, it, you know, it's at least Dion went through or is going through the college ranks. He started in the high school levels, right? 
He's going the way that you're supposed to go. I was going to reference the Greg Saturday thing as well, right? It is 100% or Jeff Saturday, sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, it is. To me, it's just 100% gimmicky, especially with the the career that Olsen had there in Carolina. You know, it's just to me, it, I don't know that it's going to work. And Steve, I guess my question to you would be, I, I, I'm pretty sure you don't think it would work. Do you think there's any possibility it would happen? Oh, I think there's a distinct possibility it was happened because Greg Olson was very loved by the fans, et cetera. It's gimmicky. They're bringing in the coach that they believe the fans would love. Will it be successful? Not a chance. I, and nothing against Olson. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to have a chance again. It ultimately always goes from the top down. And if your owners and the people they put in to make the decisions to make your franchise successful, do not do a good job. You can be the greatest head coach in the world, but if you don't have the talent and you don't have the support and you don't have the management and ownership backing that's going to allow you to do what you want to do, it doesn't matter who you bring in. It's not going to work. There's a cute email came in, uh, red at radradio.com. It's from Sharon. says, I know, I know, I'm just a girl. However, I have listened to all of your guys' sports podcasts, and I have to say that Gary is a wonderful addition. You all are killing it. Thank you. Very nice. Now, we started all this uh, with the Jim Harbaugh rumor that, that we have officially planted out there as a mixed picks rumor, Harbaugh to the Bills. Steve, I'm going to go to you on this. You're a Michigan guy, and Jim Harbaugh said on Monday that the bitterness and storylines of animosity between Michigan and Ohio State are manufactured. It's all hype to no ends, he said. It's manufactured for TV. Is that your understanding as a Michigan fan? I will disagree somewhat. I would love to believe there isn't that animosity between the players and the coaches and all of that other stuff. But being a Red Sox fan and the Yankees, the, the fans, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm sorry. But as a Michigan fan, I detest Ohio State. And I would expect <laughs> nothing less from an Ohio State fan. Uh, so it, it, yes, the media talks about it, but it's the fans. It's the history of the two programs i mean i can go back to the bo Schembechler days and woody hayes and i'm going back quite a ways here you know and that rivalry and i would keep watching michigan miss the field goal to win the game at the end of the game and it would just be oh man ohio state won yet again and it just it's the fans who carry that over not necessarily the coaches and the players so yeah i agree with you on that steve and i haven't shared this with you before, but I I am a Michigan fan as well for college football. Um, long story for another day, but <laughs> you know when I when I heard this story, I really was trying to figure out what Harbaugh was talking about, right? Because their rivalry goes back pre TV, so this has been a rivalry since before TV. And reading up on it a little bit more, Harbaugh's concerned about the kids. He said no player, no kids should think that this is life or death and have that kind of stress on him. He's trying to say it's not healthy for young people, which to me, rivalries are what it's all about. <laughs> and well, and, and, and that, if that's his concern, that would extend to what Steve's talking about because a lot of the fans are the same age as the players yeah. and they're getting all ginned up and they're getting angry at, at the other, at the other school. It's it, it, I don't even know if I believe Harbaugh or if he's just trying to be, protective or 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 but and it's not it's not just the fans either it's the boosters too and, and and with that and that brings us over to Ohio State because they just lost for the third year in a row to Michigan and people are calling 
for Ryan Day's head because you have to beat Michigan. If so, and Steve Ryan Day's done some questionable things this year in particular. Does he last? Does do they give him one more season? And goes into the rivalry. And I may not be exact on this, but I believe I'm going to be fairly close. Ryan Day is 54 and one against common opponents. He's lost three straight to Michigan, and I believe in the college football playoffs, he's like two and four or one and four in the college football playoffs. So if you back the college football playoffs and Michigan the last three years out of his record, <coughs> I believe he's like 54 and one. Why would you fire a coach who's 54 and one because he's lost three straight to Michigan? but it's because of the rivalry we just talked to. You can lose to Indiana. You can lose to Purdue. Your fans aren't going to be happy, but you can't lose to Michigan. And Michigan's the same way. If Jim Harbaugh was in trouble until the last three years because he couldn't beat Ohio State. So we're watching it play out. So you can't tell me the rivalry it's just made up and doesn't mean anything. Uh, here's a here's a, a columnist uh, in Ohio that I just pulled up out of nowhere while you were talking. Uh, the uh, the Brian Day record. Uh, in fact, I'll just read this line because he says, "I cannot get past people blindly defending Day for his 56 and seven record, because while that is an impressive mark that nearly every school in the country would be happy with, a peek behind the curtain shows." that it's actually a 56-9 and nine record because the goal every year is beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, win a national title, and Ohio State is 0-9 in accomplishing those goals. So here's somebody that is, that is calling for, for Ryan Day to get the hell out because he can't do the big game. So to, to your question of why you're going to consider firing a guy who's 56-7, and seven, there's your answer. Okay, and back to nine, he says he's 0-9 in big games. Back those nine games out. What's his record? <laughs> 56 and 0. Uh, yeah, he's undefeated. He's undefeated. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to fire an undefeated coach because he can't win the big game. Really? Who are you going to get that's going to do a better job? I'm glad you asked that. The rumor is they're going to bring Urban Meyer back. Now he says he he says he doesn't want it. This all started because uh, Maurice Claret, a uh, former uh, tailback for uh, the Buckeyes uh, tweeted or X'd out, whatever we're calling it these days, uh, to Urban Meyer, uh, what are you doing next year? And it started the rumblings that, that and, and uh, ESPN was talking about it yesterday, and, and a lot of them are saying, I, I, I can see it happening. There's been enough time, and, and Urban Meyer's ego, and he gets to go back home. I mean, it's the, it's the sexy story. It's like mentioning Harbaugh every time an NFL coaching job comes up. I, I I don't I don't put anything past anyone. I I, I don't I'm not saying it's going to happen, but what do you think, Gary? You know, I I I don't think he deserves to lose his job either. I, I'm in agreement there with Steve. I mean, he's been there 3 years and the 3 years that he's been there, he's finished 2nd, 6th and 4th. So he's made the play, college playoffs 2 years out of 2 out of 3 years he's been there. I understand it's all about winning the national championships. If that was the case, then every other college coach should get fired every other year as well. And you know, and especially when you talk about t big teams like Alabama and Auburn, right? And you just, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think that it's going to make a difference if they, if they bring in Urban Meyer. I think that Ryan Day needs to continue to have that job and have that opportunity to try and get that win against Michigan. Steve, we always talk about what you alluded to there. If you're going to fire somebody, you have to have replace him with somebody better. Would Urban Meyer be better? 
You know, it's funny because I was watching, I think it was the Sunday night game or whatever, and they, they had their panel and Urban Meyer was on it. And I'm just sitting there and the person I was with, I've said, you know, don't be surprised if Urban Meyer comes out of this and ends up going and coaches at Ohio State again. I mean, he did a wonderful job, but my memory's going a little bit, but didn't he also have health issues in mm -hmm. addition to the other shady things that have gone on throughout his career? Yes. You know, with Florida. So he's getting good money. He doesn't have the stress. I'm not sure Urban Meyer really will want to go back to Ohio State and have to go through all of that again. I mean, just continue doing what you're doing if you're happy. Uh, in 2018, he was battling stress-induced headaches, uh, had an arachnoid cyst on his brain. Uh, and, yeah, you don't have any of that when you're just sitting there analyzing the uh, TV games. The uh, So as long as we're talking about uh, football, um, the, the Iron Bowl, which is always – it seems like it's always wild – uh, Alabama's miraculous 31-yard touchdown pass on fourth and goal in the final second. And it was an incredible pass and an incredible catch. And it also completely screws up uh, potentially the, the college football uh, playoffs and, and everything. Because this, this game, this win, Steve, keeps Alabama in the, co in the conversation for a possible shot at, at the national title. They, they got to play Georgia this weekend. Uh, that's number one. Uh, the the uh, rankings came out yesterday afternoon. And uh, it is uh, Georgia number one, Michigan number two, Washington number three, uh, and, and 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 we're gonna figure all this out over the weekend because we got some big games back and forth. So let's let's back up and go to Alabama winning the the Iron Bowl the way they did, and their Alabama, which we talked last week about the politics of the college football playoffs. If obviously if they beat Georgia, they get into the top four, right? I'm not 100% sure. I, I lean that way because, you know, they just beat the number one team in the nation. No one's been able to beat Georgia in, you know, like three years type of thing. So you got to consider it. Um, I, I do believe, hands down, the media, the NCAA, and the selection committee is praying for a Florida State loss. They have to get Florida State out of this. You know, Florida State lost their quarterback to a gruesome injury. But right now, Florida State wins the ACC championship game. They're 13-0. They have to be one of the four. So that's the first thing everyone's rooting for is Florida State's got to go down in that game. You have Washington playing Oregon. Oregon's only loss was in Washington. It's tough to win on the Pac-12 on the road they missed a field goal to tie the game on the last play of the game you know and then if oregon and to give you an idea oregon is a nine and a half to ten point favorite over washington right now on a neutral site so oregon really is the best team in the pac-12 but if they win they have one loss there's all the texas people out there who say if they win the big 12 and Florida State loses, they should jump into it. D to me, the team on the outside that needs a couple of things, miracles to happen would be Texas. I, that's the first team I would throw out. But, man, how do you leave out Ohio State, Alabama, if they beat Georgia, you know, out of this? And, again, if Washington loses to Oregon, well, they beat Oregon too. How do you really put Oregon in there, even though I would put Oregon in there? It's just – I love the chaos. I hope we have the chaos. My big fear now is, is Michigan had the huge win. They're 23 and a half point favorites Ugh. over Iowa. 
Iowa oh. finds a way to sneak the game out, like when 10-9, because Michigan turns the ball over late and gives up a field goal. That would crush my entire season if Iowa found a way to upset them. So if, if the NCAA is praying for Florida State to, to lose, which I believe, I also believe that they are praying for Alabama to win, Gary, because I it doesn't matter what I might think should happen. I do not believe that humans are impartial. And when you have a team like Alabama with its fan base, with, with the money, with, with everything, if Alabama beats the number one team, they're going to find a way to put them in the final four, I believe. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I, I think there's a, a couple of things that need to happen. You know, Steve already mentioned it. Oregon to me is still in front of Alabama. Alabama didn't move in the polls at all over the week, over the weekend. So they're still sitting in the eighth spot. You know, I think it's going to take Ohio State losing again and Oregon losing again as well as Alabama winning for them to actually be considered to be able to move up four spots above the teams that are in front of them right now. But Ohio State doesn't play anymore. They're done. This is it. And Ohio State's only loss is to number two, Michigan. And they should at, uh, they sit at six. Yeah, they're at six. Uh, I mean, that's it's hard to leapfrog them just because – I mean, so obviously if Alabama loses, they're out. Yeah. If they, if they lose to Georgia, there's no way to justify getting Alabama in. But I, I, how do you see Ohio State getting can, – can they get into the, the top four, Steve? Do you see a scenario? I mean, unless we're getting really ridiculous, your Michigan loses and it, it, it creates a total chaos that, yes, we all love. Uh, okay, so you're getting Alabama. So let's say Alabama beats Georgia, the number one team in the nation. Okay? Michigan wins. They go. Oregon beats Washington – but that means that Oregon's only loss was to Washington, but Alabama beats Georgia, who is the number one team in the nation. How do you, I mean, does Alabama leapfrog over Oregon, or do you go, look, Ohio State's only loss was to Michigan, so then it should be, it, it just, there's so many different combinations here. Um, I think if Oregon beats Washington, I really have to believe they're number three in this. And there's only one team that can slide up to the number four spot. And which one is, you know, Bama beat the number one team, Ohio State's only losses to the number two team, who then after that poll, if Bama wins, is the number one team. So you're saying Ohio State's only loss is to the number one team. You know which which way does that break down? See, and I and I because I'm so cynical about this, I believe that they don't they don't do it from the objective way that you're doing it. Of oh well, this team did this. this. What they do is they look at the teams that they could justify and they go, how do we get insert team here in? If Alabama beats Georgia, okay, how do we justify Alabama's going in? And then they, they do the little Rochambeau that you just did, Steve. And and in your scenario though, you you had Michigan winning, which they should. If Michigan loses. Then they do suddenly go, how do we get Ohio State in? And, or, or how do we get some other big team in? Michigan loses, Ohio State goes. Yeah, they have to I, be. I believe that without a doubt. If Oregon beats Washington, I believe Oregon goes. But, man, what happens if Florida State pulls the upset and actually wins this game? Everyone's going to be hating life because it means Alabama or Oregon, you know, or Ohio State's not going to be in. And I think as a fan, you know, and nothing against Florida State had a great year. They're, if they're undefeated, they're sitting at 13-0. How are they not going? 
But man, I would much rather see Alabama or Ohio State or Texas in there ahead of them. And I just don't think it'll happen. So I'm that's my number one thing. I'm rooting for Florida State to lose just to allow one of those teams in. And in Alabama's defense, they lost early in the season. And that normally has always played well for those teams. It's better to lose early in the season than late in the season because people tend to forget about that and say, you know, it was early on, your team wasn't in sync. You know, you weren't quite ready at the beginning of the year. But to me, a loss is a loss. Doesn't matter if it happens in September or December. A loss is still a loss. And uh, the, the the thing we're really rooting for is chaos. Uh, and the uh, the Pac-12 game is uh, Friday night, 5 o'clock ABC. Uh, Oklahoma State at Texas is Saturday at 9 a.m. Georgia's at Alabama Saturday at 1 p.m. And, Steve, on that on that Texas game, you, you even first of all, what's the spread? And you you believe that even if Texas wins, they're, they're not going to be in the top four competition. I just I don't see Texas getting there. I just think there's too many scenarios because Alabama beating the number one team in the nation to get in, Oregon beating Washington to get in, you know, and Ohio State's only loss being to Michigan. I, I just don't think they can leapfrog. You're looking right now at uh, Texas, and they're a 15 point favorite in that game against Oklahoma State. It's really it shouldn't be close. If I'm Texas, I want to win this game 63 to three and just say, look, we deserve to be in there. And the more points they can score, the the better their case is. So that's one of those. Normally, I don't like big double digit favorites, but if you're Texas, you can't ease up in this game at all. How much sports betting you do, Gary, when uh, you can? When I go to Reno every single time, basically. And and do you have, do you have various rules like Steve does? Stay away from double digits or homes or roads or is it each is it a feeling or? It, it's always a gut and based on just what I know about what's happening with those teams. So would you like it? Would you like those twenty three and a half points that uh, what Michigan's given up? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, I, I would probably take twenty three points. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, wow. Just I mean, it's a conference game and Iowa seems to play them tough. So. Um, so uh, uh, the uh, if, if, if we got so big games in college, and the the marquee matchup obviously in the NFL uh, would be the the Niners and the Eagles. And uh, first things first, I made a comment when Steve and I talked Monday on the regular show. I couldn't believe the NFL hasn't flexed this game to Sunday night. So I, I did a little research on it, and they would have had to announce it like a week and a half ago or whatever. So they they've changed some of the rules for the networks and the two major networks, uh, and I don't know uh, Fox and CBS. They are able to protect one game on their network each week from being flexed and uh, and not being moved to Sunday night. And Fox immediately said when they were getting to the deadline, don't touch the the Eagles and the Niners. So that's why we're going to get the Chiefs and the Packers on Sunday night, just to clear that up. Now, there's a lot of people that are uh, chirping. that I, Everybody loves a good conspiracy theory. I know all that. But I know, Steve, also you get really frustrated sometimes with how some of these conspiracy theories um, soil sports betting and make everybody kind of look side eye at, at various things, especially when it deals with refs. So the Eagles on Sunday, 37 34, they beat the Bills. Buffalo was penalized 11 times, only four flags on the Eagles. One of the most criticized penalties in the game was in the second quarter when Eagles edge rusher Hassan Reddick spun Josh Allen to the turf by the back of his jersey collar. Textbook definition of a horse collar tackle. No penalty. In fact, there was a penalty. They 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 called Reddick for for grounding, and uh, on the broadcast, Tony Romo was apoplectic, and he pointed out on the replay that Reddick grabbed the back of Allen's jersey. Sorry, he called Allen for 
uh, grounding. And Jim Nance was like, oh, yeah. And, and this all led to, oh, hey, the Philadelphia Eagles are 5-0 and when Sean Hockley's referee crew is doing their games, which, of course, led somebody to go to Sean Hockley's uh, Wikipedia page and change it to uh, uh, registering him as a, a Philadelphia Eagles fan. <laughs> so it's out there that the NFL is rigging the Eagles to get them as far as they can via Sean Hockley, who's getting a lot of Eagles games, and his crew is undefeated 5-0 uh, and for the Eagles. Where does this land, Steve, on your radar for things that are legitimately making it harder and harder for people to feel like they're getting a fair shake with betting in the NFL? This really and I watch it every single week, really makes it difficult for fans to fully accept the outcomes of the game and not feel that it is rigged. I, I, you know, we've discussed it many times. This is one of the reasons I'm ready to go to, you know, use technology. At the end of the day, all the fans just want the plays called correctly. Even if it goes against their teams, yeah, we'd hate to see that, but we just want it called correctly. You know, I use baseball as my best example. If you're not going to use the technology, get the box off my screen because every time I see a pitch go outside the box that it's called a strike, I get irritated. Take it away from me. But we have so many camera angles, so many different things. They say there could be holding on every single play, whether or not they call it. We watch atrocious pass interferences called now or non-pass interferences called so anytime you have a call like that, it's going to be see the, the game's fixed. And it's only going to be worse as sports betting continues to grow nationwide. So to me, I don't think these leagues have a choice but to try to embrace the technology, try to do something to show that they're trying to their best to make the calls right. And they got to take that human element out of it that we all used to defend but now it just irritates us so much. And, and, but but uh, yes, yes. And I used to be a human error guy as well. But what I've seen, Gary, is unless we're going to have AI take over, which maybe is what's going to happen in two to five years, all the refereeing, there is still human error because they're looking at these replays and they're not making the announcers say, oh, they're going to overturn that. No way. No way does that stand. And, and then they don't overturn it. I don't know. You, you're, you're a big tech guy. How much more can we do to to prevent these things? You know, it's I'm not sure. That's a really good question within the NFL. Uh, unlike baseball, we haven't seen technology be able to go. Oh, that's a holding. That's a horse horse collar, right? We only see it visually with our eyes, and it still requires that human element to actually make that call. Whereas with baseball, they have the technology to see the strike zone. They also actually have the technology to know what pitch the pitcher's throwing to feed to the sportscasters as well. That example is right. much more annoying because, yeah, that that could be fixed. And that's, and that's I mean, that is all very real stuff. I just, I'm not sure how that's going to play out until we actually see them do something of that nature to where they include technology either in the jersey, shoulder pads, something, something that allows them to be able to identify when a penalty is actually happening. And, and Steve, the thing with, with football is, is a lot of this stuff isn't reviewable. And if we make it all reviewable, the games take eight hours. And even when it is reviewable, would they overturn it? Hockley's crew got together after this call uh, and they still made, they, they had a chat and they still made the call 
that they did. In fact, he said after the game, we felt that the force was from the front of the collar and what pulled him down was not from the back. The replay clearly showed that was wrong. If they would have had a chance to replay it, would they have overturned it? But what? What? how do we ever completely, in the right now today, eliminate those type of errors? Well, I don't think we're ever going to fully eliminate those things, but here's a thought. Why not chip the football? Because I'm tired of watching third down and an inch, fourth down and an inch. We watched the Eagles go into this big pileup. We have no clue if he got the first down or didn't get the first down. We can't even use the technology for that. We can't use the technology for if the ball crossed the goal line, if the player was inbounds or out of bounds. I watched tennis balls be shown hitting the court within like a hundredth of a millimeter. And we can't tell if the play was inbounds, out of bounds, first down or touchdown. That's the first step here. Just fix that part and we can go from there. And they can't even do that, which is so frustrating. And, and, and I'm going to go on record. I am one who actually feel that the Eagles play should be banned in the NFL because I'm waiting every time I watch it, I'm just praying there are no serious injuries on it because you can't tell me when they get into those scrums that some of those players aren't in risk of suffering. What could be a season ending injury. We haven't seen it yet, but I'm waiting for it to happen. And then what are they going to do? They're going to pull the Buster Posey who, sorry, Buster Posey blocked the plate wrong. He was on his knees, leaning back. He was an accident waiting to happen. If he had blocked the plate correctly, that blow up never would have happened. But baseball changed the rules for that because he was one of the top players in the league. Do we really want to watch a top NFL quarterback go down because they were caught in a scrum and got hurt? So this is the tush push that, that you're you believe. Yes. So and, and there there are already rumblings uh, of this being discussed at the winter meetings and and or their version of the winter meetings. I'm thinking baseball. Um, uh, uh, before next season, and of course, Philadelphia fans are crying. No, 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 no. That's an anti-Eagles rule that you're talking about. Uh, and, and I see that part, but I'm. I every time I watch it, I am waiting for a quarterback to get seriously injured in that scrum, and that's all it is. It's a rugby scrum that we've all seen, and you know you can't tell me that those players, man, that's got to hurt. If you're running two or three of those a game, that that's got to be serious wear and tear on your body and the stories gary are legendary of what happens with the the crotch grabbing the punching the i mean anything goes in those things it's honestly the guys are in full pads helmets you know it just feels soft to me a little bit just as steve mentioned with rugby rugby has the exact same type of scrums where people are just bare body uh, piled on top of each other and they're they're wearing basically no padding for the most part you know, it's they're at more risk for injury, and maybe I just don't watch rugby enough to understand if there are really serious injuries long term. But you know, it just I, I kind of like the tush push idea. You're taking advantage of the rules of the game, and I'm seeing other teams taking mm-hmm. advantage of it now as well. <laughs> and you got to find a way to stop it. And you've seen some creative defensive players that are jumping over the top of the line trying to do a backflip to grab the quarterback as he's going into the pile. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm not sure. I just, I don't think the tush push to be eliminated yet. In a league, Steve, where a lot of people are crying about the pussification of the rules and we don't let defenders play, what's your uh, comeback for saying, come on, let them do it? 
Well, I think it's consistent with what we're doing. We watched a quarterback. I I don't remember which quarterback this week. And, oh, the defensive player landed on him, so that was an unnecessary roughness on the quarterback. Well, if I'm tackling you, don't I land on top of you? <laughs> so if we're protecting the quarterbacks to that extent, again, my question goes to what's going to happen when a quarterback gets seriously hurt in that and tears a ligament in their knee or something else? what's going to happen then and i think it's just a matter of time as when it's going to happen not if it's going to happen well i agree with you that if they don't ban it during their league meetings prior to next season it will be changed the minute a marquee quarterback goes down whether we want it to or not the the minute the the it's aaron rodgers or anybody of of no that's when it will be changed and 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 that brings us back to the eagles steve they're 10 and 1 this weekend's game is the ultimate are they really that good game for both teams uh, the eagles uh have a uh, they, with their come from behind victory over the bills on sunday they have trailed at halftime in each of their past four games they have come back to win all of them that ties an nfl record they're 10 and 1 how and for some reason and it's not because of my bias as a niner fan i'm still not sold on the eagles are you I don't think anybody's sold on the Eagles. The Eagles find ways to win, which is a credit to their coach, a credit to the team. They do what they have to do to win. If they got to run the ball 35, 40 straight plays, that's what they're going to do to win. But their offense has seemed out of sync all season long. We've all watched it. It's just they're not the high-powered Eagles they were last year. And to back it up, the Niners are a three-point favorite on the road in Philadelphia. So, the betting public is saying we're not sold on the Eagles. The Niners, technically, if you're looking at this, are a five-and-a-half-point better team than the Eagles. I've said all year the Niners are the best team in the NFL. This, to me, just backs it up and shows it. Eagles have the best record. They're a dog at home to the 49ers. As a Niners fan, Gary, this game scares the hell out of me because of everything that Steve's saying. This is where my bias does come in. and They're they're traveling across the country they're the road team and 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 i am mostly sold on the niners and and believe that they can go into philadelphia and win and i think that they they have to and and but there's something that's making me nervous about it you know it's we haven't had any real major injuries outside of samuel early in the year from the offensive side and that's what's killed us a lot in previous years and so you know it's Purdy's really proven, and last week he proved he can throw the deep ball where before everybody was talking about how he was just a, a short route, crossing route passer versus being able to throw the long ball. Um, and so I, I really have a lot of faith in the 49ers this weekend and think that there's a good shot that they do go in there and actually beat Philadelphia. I would prefer to see them beat them by 21 points oh. Versus, oh, yeah. versus three. And a handily, you know, a handy victory would be great, yeah. especially with what Steve's alluding to with the Eagles' offense and that Niners' defense. If they can take over and 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 build up a nice lead and keep it. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. That would be yeah. – that the Niners are then the best team in the NFL yeah. at, at the time. Um, and, and Rob – it's a 125 game. It's not a 10 o'clock East Coast game. True. NFL set it up for the 49ers. True. It's all there for a Niners win. So so that, that 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 leads me perfectly to you and I have had fun over the years with this this theory of yours uh, where where you will occasionally argue that a West Coast team flying all the way across the country uh, and playing at 10 a.m. their time uh, that it's a it's an immediate it's an immediate kick against the the, the West Coast team. And I was going to ask you 
where does that come into your theory with the with the, the Niners in this case? And and you say solely because they're making it a late game that it doesn't it doesn't matter. It won't affect the Niners clocks. To me, it, it doesn't affect the 49ers clock because it's a 125 game, which is like, you know, you're you're looking at a 1030 game. You're usually up by that. And and believe me, I say this about baseball too. And if you take Ron Darling, Ron Darling, East Coast pitcher from the Mets. But he would struggle when he'd go out to the West Coast. He just wasn't a pitcher. You know, in his time, he started a game at 10 at night. It just wasn't there. But, man, if he was facing the Dodgers at 1 in the afternoon on a Saturday, he'd be great. So if the, if the Niners win, they're a game back uh, uh, for, for the number one seed. And the Eagles have to, uh, after they play the Niners, they have to go to Dallas. They have to go to Seattle. They host the Giants. They host the Cardinals, and they host the Giants again. So the Eagles are are at least going to go three and two at least uh, after whatever happens in San Francisco. The Niners host Seattle, go to Arizona, host the Ravens, go to Washington, and then host the Rams to finish. Do the Niners have a pathway, Steve? In your opinion, to the number one seed? Yeah, right there. They go five and zero. Oh. And they win the head-to-head against the Eagles. So you like you in that scenario, you're giving the Niners beating Baltimore at home on Christmas. Obviously, in that in that yeah. scenario, and that would be yeah. the, the key. Do, do, now, first, and Gary, do you what do you think of the the Eagles? They 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 have okay the Giants twice and the Cardinals. Those are easy. Yeah. Dallas and Seattle. I I don't see the Eagles losing to Dallas or Seattle at this point in this season. Um, and so I think it's going to be really difficult with the Niners to get there, considering that they took that third loss earlier this year. They'll still be a game behind Philly after they beat them this weekend, and it, I just it's going to be tough for them to get there. Steve, if the if the Niners lose Sunday, there's no way they're getting the number one seed. Agree? No, they're not. And, and I don't think the Niners. It's as important for them to have the number one seed as it is for the Eagles. But I'm sorry, I would absolutely love to see the cowboys fans to get their hopes up beat the eagles think they are an elite team again to lose in the first round of the playoffs so while that probably won't happen that's the scenario i'm rooting for well i mean that leads us perfectly into uh, tomorrow night's game the the cowboys are hosting the seahawks who got destroyed by the niners uh last week and you have been beating the drum all season the cowboys have not beaten a team with a winning record all season as of right now none of the teams that they've beaten have a have a winning record um and so dallas dallas is at home they're hosting the seahawks who i i don't know how much stock we put in the seahawks beating being a good team but the seahawks are six and five so if the cowboys beat the seahawks steve are you going to lighten up on them a little bit because they'll beat a team with a winning record yeah, but Geno Smith has been nursing an injury for the last couple of weeks. Kenneth Walker, their starting running back, has been hurt. Uh, DK Metcalf has been out. This is the problem with the, the Seahawks right now is they have several major, major players on offense that are battling injuries, and we've seen what these injuries can do to teams. So you're getting the Seahawks team that's really not very healthy going into Dallas on a short week. That's tough for any team to do. So even if the Cowboys blow the Seahawks out, I still fall on the, yeah, they're beating up a really injured team on a short week. So I don't give the Cowboys a whole lot of credit for that win. 
there either. Uh, the Seahawks, by the way, have lost three of their last four games. They're going the wrong way. Um, and the the, the if, by the way, if the, if the Cowboys are going to lose in the playoffs, w- can we make sure that yet again, in whatever scenario it is, it's the Niners that for the third year in a row knock them out of the playoffs? I mean, that 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 yeah. that's what we want to see that, as Niner fans from the '80s and '90s. That would definitely be a nice base layer to the cake <laughs> for this playoff season. And and uh, and Steve, if 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 this is way ahead of the game, but this is what we do with sports, right? If the if the Niners were to be the team that knocked the Cowboys out because of the seeding, again, does Mike McCarthy keep that job with Jerry Jones? As long as he does what Jerry Jones wants him to do. And as a Lions fan, I'm hoping the Lions beat the Cowboys and knock them out. <laughs> See, we all because want them. Then I can say the Lions have won <laughs> two playoff games in my lifetime, and they're both against the Cowboys. Uh, yeah. They've All right. only been able to beat the Cowboys. So if we can only beat one team out there, let it be Dallas. Fair. And and it's not like it's not like I would lose personally if the Niners and the Lions wound up playing each other because you and I would have a lot of fun uh watching that. Well I would probably have more fun uh because I, I I'm I'm not sure that the Lions are quite ready for, for a Niners uh a team. And, and then the question I would ask you is when was the last time the Lions won in San Francisco and if I'm correct, it's been a long time. By the way, let's just jump to them real quick. Uh, they stumbled on Thanksgiving. I know that was that was painful for you, Steve. Any concerns about going to New Orleans this weekend? Uh, no, I, I, I like them here. The Saints are also battling a lot of injuries here. Their wide receivers are banged up. Their defensive lines banged up. And, and the Lions, they're they have a lot of talent on the team. I I think they're going to rebound, play well here. Uh, the Thanksgiving part that they lost didn't bother me that much because look they're gonna win the division the the part that bothers me is why do you got to do it on thanksgiving that's when the whole family gets together and then i just get ridiculed and made fun of the entire day for my family that's the part that i struggle with if it was they lost on a different day hey not a problem but man Every year, Thanksgiving is tough to go to just because the Lions always seem to find a way to lose. Some traditions just don't end, Steve. You know, Steve, yeah, I'm aware of that. I, but I, I'm impressed because you're getting more and more positive because you're you're giving the Lions that they're going to win uh, the NFC North. They got a two-and-a-half game lead, and they got to take care of the Saints this weekend. Then they got to go to Chicago. Fine, got that one. They host Denver. We're going to talk about them next. Uh, and then they got to play Minnesota twice. Those are division games. And they got to go to Dallas. And for you to be saying, ah, they're still going to win it, that's good. That's that's progress for you. They're still going to. You've got some confidence from watching this team. Yes, and and I'm really curious to to see what the Vikings do here. Everyone loves the Josh Dobbs story and all that, sure. but if you really look not at it, coach. Yeah. they kept things very simple for him. Here it is: What do you do well? And he was able to win two football games for him. They've expanded out that playbook. They've thrown a whole lot of things in there. Josh Dobbs is an incredibly intelligent person, but he's still a backup quarterback. And to me, they've kind of expanded it and quit playing to his strengths. And they've gone to, look, you're starting NFL quarterback. You need to have these 600 plays. And I'm curious to see if Minnesota will dial it back and say, look, we know who you are. We're going to go with what works best for you. Or if they make a change and go to a different quarterback. Is it, am I confusing my quarterbacks? Is, isn't Josh Dobbs the one who, who hadn't even seen the playbook and he showed up? Or is that, correct. Was that, and, no. and he won the game. And, 
and it was oh, yeah. simplified. It's what do you do best? Those are the plays we're going to run with. So, so after after I mean that was a miserable night Monday night with with the Bears loss. Vikings coach Kevin O'Connell has publicly said they're reviewing the best path forward. The Vikings uh, they have a bye this week, um, but they um, they also said that they are going to decide who the quarterback will be based entirely on welcoming back All Pro receiver Justin Jefferson, and they're going to decide whether it's Josh Dobbs who can work best with him or Nick Mullins or Jaron Hall. Who's the better choice of those three? Well, I think I'd be looking at a Nick Mullins or Josh. To me, it's Josh Dobbs. But, you know, you're a 49ers fan. I think you got to see Mullins for a little bit briefly mm. in his career. Um, not impressive in any way. But, again, they're all backup quarterbacks. You have to play to the quarterback strength. And I think that's what the part that Minnesota lost the last couple of weeks. And the Vikings, Gary, they're they're clinging to that number seven playoff spot. I, I don't think they have it in them to go all the way, but <laughs> yeah, not without Kirk Cousins in there. And uh, you know, Justin Jefferson was just put on or just activated today as well, so he's he is going to be back. It sounds like for next week's game, um, so they'll get some practice time together to see how they how they uh, interact with each other. So yeah, I just. It's going to be interesting to see what Minnesota does here on out, especially if if Dobbs can put it together and him and Jefferson can work together. I think they've they've got a chance to hold on to that last spot. We keep talking about uh, teams that that we buried early, Steve, and have uh, turned around because there's a couple of them, and then a couple of them have have, you know faded off. Uh, NFL.com's Jeff Chatia says that uh, the Denver Broncos are the number one trending up entity. In the NFL, with the miraculous turnaround, uh, with 11 games into the Sean Payton era, they started one and five. They own the longest active win streak in the NFL with five wins. They're six and five. Russell Wilson is looking better. In order to make the playoffs, Denver has to go four and two down the stretch. And I know you and I agree that Sean Payton's one of the best out there. Uh, how good are the Broncos? You know, I want to turn it slightly a different way. The Broncos are sitting at six and five. Let's say they didn't start off horribly, and this was just at six and five, they'd be saying, Sean Payton, yeah, he hasn't really turned it around. This team should be doing much better than that. So we're giving the Broncos all this credit because they've won five straight games. Yes, they've turned the defense around. That's the big change on this team, and I give them credit. But, you know, you're going overboard on a six and five team which I think everybody before the season started would have thought they'd be six and five or better. So it's not like they're shocking everyone with their record. It's just people are now seeing them play good. And it just shows how bad the Broncos were early on. Yeah. I don't disagree with what Steve said there. It's uh, I think the six and five record is all based on what their defense has done lately. The offense still doesn't seem to be able to put it together. I think they just had their first rushing touchdown last weekend in five games or something. It's it's been it's been an interesting year offensively for him. And Russell Wilson is definitely not the same quarterback he was back in Seattle. So now they're also the Broncos are also uh, they're they're catching some flack, deserved or not, on it on two fronts. Of course, Sean Payton is never going to shake off Bounty Gate, and th- that in addition to Kareem Jackson is causing the Broncos to be called the dirty team in the NFL. To, to, by the way, Kareem Jackson, uh, the Broncos' safety, is in New York right now meeting with the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, uh, claiming he wants more clarity about his latest suspension. He has been suspended by the league for six games this season, ejected from two others, fined almost $90,000, 
for four illegal hits. He drew his second suspension for that November 19th hit on the aforementioned Joshua Dobbs on his very first tackle after coming back from suspension. Said he wants to ask the commissioner for advice on avoiding future flags, fines, and suspensions because he says, I'm playing like I always have. Uh, and he says the league is not clear about how defenders should alter their play to avoid the kinds of hits that have gotten him in trouble. Uh, and and th- I hate this. I hate this new trend in the NFL. He doesn't get a flag during the game, but he still gets a suspension afterwards when they review it. So you don't, Gary, want to ban the tush push. Are you on Team Jackson here? Yeah, uh, I would have to say no. Just, yeah, I'm not 100% sure why. It just doesn't feel right, though. Do you think he's a dirty player? Or is he just not adapting? Uh, he's just not adapting. What about all this, Steve, whether it's Jackson-specific or Sean Payton's reputation? Is that a fair flex at all to say the Broncos are the dirty team in the NFL? I, I don't think that's fair at all. Uh, it really wasn't Sean Payton in the bounty gate. It was their defensive coordinator uh, who put that all in place. And, and that's one of those I still have a hard time believing that other teams in the NFL haven't done that ever in the past either. <laughs> Jackson right now, he's rolling solely on his reputation. He's known as a dirty player. He hasn't cleaned up his act, so I put some responsibility on him because he needs to adjust to what the league is asking. The question I have is we we go back and we penalize these players for hits that they have. They weren't flagged in the game, but we're going to find them. We're going to suspend them. But we never go back and review the film and discuss to the referees their blown calls, et cetera, and we don't ever take any action on them. So why are we reviewing the players and things that aren't called during the game and then penalizing players if we're not going to review those same games and then indiscreetly or however penalize those referees for blown calls that really have affected the outcomes of some of these games. Are we 100% sure that the officiating committee isn't doing that already and we just don't have privy to that information where we do hear it from every team that has to report, whereas the officials don't have to provide some sort of update every single week? No, but wouldn't transparency be nice? It would be really nice, yeah. If if they reported that out? Correct. And and, and if you are, and I'm not 100% sure, but you keep hearing from players, coaches, etc., on how there is no accountability to these umpires and referees. Well, let us know, have transparency, show us, look, we blew that call. It should have been called a traveling, you know, in the NBA, we see some of that transparency. Just let us know so we can see it. So we know you're looking at it and you're addressing the problems. This Broncos game this weekend really fascinates me, Steve, because you pointed out, look, if it was six and five under different, circumstances nobody would say in that Sean Payton has come in and fixed everything and I know you're a fan I just can't tell which one of us is a bigger fan right now of what's going on in Houston I know CJ Stroud is in your top three I think of uh, quarterbacks to watch he passed for 304 yards and a pair of touchdowns last weekend first rookie to pass for at least 300 yards in four consecutive games ran for 47 he's chasing Andrew Luck's rookie passing record the game is in Houston Steve and and I am so impressed with what they're doing they're not playoff caliber if they somehow stumble into it but i think houston it has a has a, a more than a more than a puncher's chance on sunday uh, the texans are a three and a half point favorite in this game and and you're right cj stroud is now my second favorite quarterback <laughs> to watch play he's moved ahead of justin herbert he was my number two but i love cj stroud he doesn't have a lot of talent there 
but he still finds ways to win games, keep the team competitive. Denver's defense is really playing a lot better, and that's the big difference, as we discuss for the turnaround of this Broncos team. I would love to see the Texans go and beat the Broncos. I'm really hoping they have a strong draft and they can get some talent because now that we see how talented he is, you got to believe some free agents are going to be willing to sign in Houston to play for the Texans. So if you can bring in a couple of good free agents, have another year or two of really strong drafts. This last draft the Texans had was a great draft for them. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping the Texans – and I surprised myself saying this. I actually root somewhat for the Texans now, and that's a team I I've never shown any interest in ever, even when they were decent. And and uh, Gary, I was going to ask you because me too. You know, I'm a fan of the Niners, but I, I'm rooting for the Texans. And is it weird to you as a Niner fan that I I if they have to go, I love seeing our former coordinators do well. And D'Amico Ryan's. What a job he's done already. And and Robert Sala, it sucks in New York that he didn't have Aaron Rodgers all season. So I, I'm, like, rooting for the Texans for that reason, too. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've really gotten into the C.J. CJ Stroud story this year as well. I do a lot of uh, fantasy football. I have some leagues with friends, but I also do the daily fantasy betting also. And, and so I've had a lot of focus on the Texas this year just because of the, the yards and points that have been put up. And, you know, right now I think Texas really – or the Texans are really lacking a very strong running back right now to help C.J. Stroud out. I think from a receiver core perspective with Nico Collins and Tank Dell, which I love the nickname of Tank, um, <laughs> you know, those guys have been really good at putting up – and I mean, catching the ball and putting up some big numbers for him. And so, you know, I'm not so concerned about their receiving core as much as I am their running backs – and then if their defense can come together and actually stop people from scoring, they actually might have a really good shot next year. Yeah, when your quarterback leads the team in rushing with 47 yards, that, that seems to indicate a hole, Steve, in the, in the system at this time. Yeah, without a doubt, they've really struggled to run the ball all season. I'd like to see them get a, a th number three. Well, I, I would put them – I'd love to see them go get a number one and let those guys that they currently have at two and three and, and really give him the weapons to succeed, throw on the ball. But – like Josh Allen, if you don't have a running game, it becomes very difficult to win in the NFL. Now, if, if C.J. Stroud has moved up to second, bumping Herbert to third, is your favorite quarterback to watch still Joe Burrow? Absolutely. Right. He, 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 and he's found ways to win. He took his team to the Super Bowl, and he really hasn't had a even a decent offensive line during that time. So when – when I watch and, and I have a quarterback who I know the offensive line's not very good at blocking and still finds ways to win and be successful, complete those passes and make your team good, knowing you have zero blocking for you. To me, that's a huge part of why a quarterback can be an elite quarterback. And uh, the, the NFL just has its head in his hands. What would have been an otherwise riveting, potentially Monday night football game won't have Joe Burrow. Uh, and the Bengals are at the Jaguars, and the Jaguars are still fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, they should win this division. They, they're, I, I think they're in the playoffs here. I, I like the team. They're a balanced team, but they're not flashy. They're not going to go out and blow anybody out. They don't do anything great. They just find ways to win. Their defense is very good. It's not elite. Their offense with Trevor Lawrence is very good. Again, not elite. I'm not sold that he has the wide receivers that he needs to really elevate that offense. 
I love ETN as a running back. I, I think he's the one who really makes the offense go. Uh, they're a fun team to watch, but they don't do anything spectacular. They're just a really good team. Jacksonville and me, Gary, is like the Titans were for a while there, where they're always going to get into the playoffs starting now, and then they're not going to go very far. So I will be open and honest about that, is that in August, I went up, <clears throat> went up to Reno to meet a friend <clears throat> and was at one of the hotels and actually put $50 on the Niners to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and my, my mid-level team was Jacksonville. I got Jacksonville at uh, 28 to 1, I think. So I put $50 on Jacksonville as well, just based on what they did last year in the playoffs. And, you know, I I do like some of the receivers. I agree with uh, Steve on their running game. Etienne needs to be a little bit more consistent um, in the last few games of the season going into the playoffs as well. But Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, Evan Ingram is their tight end. That You know, they definitely have some good receivers for um, – uh, for Trevor Lawrence to throw to right now. And so I, I really like him as an outside shot to bait. Ba- I, I think they're a good outside shot to make the Super Bowl this year, in my opinion. Steve, if the, if the Jaguars, they're, they're, they're in the third seat right now. You said they're, they're not elite. How far do the Jaguars go? I mean, in, in the AFC where you got to go through, we got the Ravens and the Chiefs. And uh, uh, how far can the Jaguars go? I don't see them advancing deep into the, the playoffs. I, I, I like the Ravens. I like the Chiefs. You know, and, and, and to Gary's point, I like Kirk. I like Ridley. But if they got an elite number one to go along with them, yeah. wow, that, that would be a lot of fun to watch. And that mm-hmm. would really open up that offense. And that's the part where I talk about they need a third wide receiver. You really need three really good wide receivers if you're going to open up your offense and that that's where I, I you know I would like to see him go and get one of the top wide receivers in the game that you can slide you know Ridley Kirk into two and three and go from there but I, I I like the Jags I just don't think they have enough firepower to beat the Chiefs in Kansas City to beat the Ravens in Baltimore they're a good solid team they're just not elite so Steve along those lines then with the 49ers offense right now I know we're I don't want to jump too far around here, but saying that there needs to be three elite receivers, the Niners really only have two elite receivers mm-hmm. between Ayuk and, and Samuels. They have Kittle as a great tight end who can act like a wide receiver sometimes, but he's really fallen down to the fourth option on this team now with McCaffrey being able to catch the ball so well out of the backfield. Um, is it is it necessary to have those three key receivers, or is it does it matter if the – Tight end is uh, better than average, and your running back is really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. For, for most teams, I believe it's necessary. But see, the 49ers are a different animal when you talk about it. Greg Kittle is one of the best tight ends in the NFL, which he himself has to draw double coverage outside of Kelsey and maybe, you know, Hawkinson possibly in Minnesota. Uh, the tight ends really don't need to be double coverage. And the fact, and this is where it McCaffrey is so big for the 49ers is he's a receiving running back. He's not just your running back like a Derrick Henry. So he becomes a threat out of that backfield that a lot of teams don't have. So that's where the 49ers are able to overcome not having that third top wide receiver. And most other teams can't do that because they don't have the tight end. They don't have the receiving running back coming out of the backfield, but that's what makes the 49ers so dangerous. And, and, 
Just think if the 49ers had like a Pickens from the Steelers and throw him on this 49ers offense, how do you stop him? There's another team, by the way, that feels mid-level to me. The Steelers, they, uh, they their first game after they fired uh, offensive quarterback Matt Canada, uh, they outgained the, uh, their opponent for the first time all season. And the Steelers are sitting at fifth uh, in the, uh, the AFC playoffs. And they feel like if they get in there, eh, they're not they're, – I love Mike Tomlin, Steve, but the Steelers aren't built for the long haul, right? No, not at all. Kenny Pickett – and firing the offensive coordinator to me was a uh, – shot over the bow for Pickett. Look, you're on your last string here. You better figure out how to play quarterback in the NFL because we're going to move on at the end of the season if you don't. We're getting rid of the offensive coordinator because we're going to blame him for your problems. You got to figure it out. And last week, I think he kind of took it to heart and said, wow, I better up my game. I better start throwing the ball a little bit more upfield and pressuring the defenses. We saw it. They were able to run the ball because if you're able to throw the ball downfield, it's going to take the eight men out of the box, which opens up the running game. And you go to Bill Walsh, and he always said he uses the passing game to open up the running game, where old school used to be used the running game to open the passing game. That's not the way it is in the NFL anymore. And the Steelers have to be able to put pressure on that defense because their defense is good enough to win, but the Steelers aren't going anywhere. Steelers have a bye this week, and I want to jump to baseball because we're three old-school baseball guys. Uh, that, that That's our sport. That's where we all kind of started uh, and, and passionate about uh, for so long. Uh, the This is that time of the year, winter meetings. Uh, we're getting the signings. We're going to get the hot stove, and you get the Hall of Fame uh, candidates. And there's two different versions. There's the Hall of Fame's committee system, which is how they decide to put people in that didn't play the game, the biggest impact on the game in a non-playing capacity. So the writers only vote on the players. And the, the names that jumped out at me, and it's the same thing. I get 75% of the votes, and there's 16 committee members. This is people right now and that rotates. Uh, it's uh, Hall of Famers, Jeff Bagwell, Tom Glavin, Chipper Jones, uh, former Commissioner Bud Selig, uh, Ted Simmons, there's an old school name from the Brewers, uh, Jim Tomei, Joe Torrey, Sandy Alderson. They're, they're all part of this committee that will vote, and if 75% vote uh, for you, you get in. And the names that jumped out for me were managers Jim Leland and Lou Piniella. Uh, the, uh, the Leland, 22 seasons, head coach, or head coach, we're not doing football, Rob, manager uh, of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Florida Marlins, Colorado Rockies, Detroit Tigers, uh, Marlins won the 97 uh, World Series title. Manager of the year in 90-92-2006. Old school rough guy. Uh, Gary, uh, Jim Leland, Hall of Fame manager. You know, in, in in the time, he was fun. his teams were fun to watch. But one World Series in 22 seasons, uh, it, you know, it just – I have a hard time seeing him as a Hall of Famer uh, when you compare him to some of the other legendary – coaches that are currently in there right now steve baseball is the ultimate num numbers game it is is one a big enough number you know with with quarterbacks when we go back to football a lot of us are always like you're not in the discussion for greater greatest quarterback of all time unless you at least have won a super bowl with managers in baseball is one world series title enough to to throw jim leland into the hall of fame one I love his old school. He used to smoke cigarettes in the dugout. I mean, think about that. If that were to happen today, I mean, you got to go down in the tunnel, but he used to just smoke in the, in the dugout. All of his teams have been competitive. They've been really good. He did win with the Marlins, but the Pirates just couldn't get past the Braves. 
and didn't quite have enough talent, you could say, well, he had Barry Bonds there, you know, for a decent amount. He should have had the talent. I, I think he's borderline. I think he was considered one of the game's best managers during his time. I'm just not ready to say he was an elite manager to go in. So if he got in, I wouldn't disapprove. If he didn't get in, I wouldn't be going out saying this is a crime and he really deserves to be there. I just, ah, he, he's right on the fence for me. All right, the other old school guy, Lou Pinella. Uh, New York Yankees, Reds, Mariners, Tampa Bay Rays, Chicago Cubs, 1990 World Series with the Reds. That's his one, Gary. Uh, and, of course, he had the, the ultimate uh, team, uh, the 2001 Mariners, with the American League record 116 games, wins, and then nothing uh, in the postseason. Manager of the year three times. If you're using the same metrics, Gary, he you can't take his playing career in it, uh, into play here. As a manager, that's not enough. I, yeah, I mean, even with the 116 win season, which ties the American or the tied American League record with that, I, I just have a hard time putting him in as a as a manager. You know, 23 seasons, one World Series title, as you said, and yeah, unfortunately, that was a sweep against the A's, who had an <laughs> incredible yeah. team at that time That's in 1990. Awful, but you know, it just yeah, I just don't see him being. Uh, he's a, he's a, in that middle ground, like Steve said, with Leyland. That's where I'm out with him as well. Was, wasn't that the World Series where Eric Davis punctured his kidney or something yes, like that? Yes, yeah. Um, Steve Lupinella, uh, is he elite as a manager, or are you, you with us? And nah, not quite there. I still think he's on the fence. Of the two, I would put Panilla in ahead of Leland. if you gave me that shot. He did win one. But, man, he had the Reds. They were really good. Seattle was really good. Everywhere that Panilla went, kind of like Dusty Baker, they always won. My knock with Leland is he went to Colorado and he took the money, in my opinion, and he didn't really do a manager job there. He just kind of said, hey, thank you for paying me, and I'm just going to sit here on my reputation. But Lou Panilla, every team he's had has been competitive, and that's where I give Panilla the little bit of the edge. Again, if he got in, great. If he doesn't get in, you know, yeah, okay. But of the two, I think they're both right there. But I would put Panilla in before I'd put Leland in. So if anybody gets in, then they go in with the players. Uh, anybody jump out to you, Steve? The newcomers to the uh, 2024 Baseball Writers Association of America Hall of Fame was released Monday. Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Chase Utley all jump out. Beltre had 3,166 hits, 3,166 hits, 477 home runs, just, just short of the Magic 500. 21-year career. Joe Maurer had three batting titles as a catcher. He was the MVP in 2009. Utley had six all-star teams uh, appearances and won the 2008 World Series with the Phillies. Utley, uh, it, it's, to me, is the least impressive of those three, but do any of them get in for, for you, Steve? I would put Adrian Beltre in just, he, he was an elite defensive third baseman. Uh, you know, he had a really good career as a hitter. My problem anymore is just the standards of the hall of fame. Cause to me, you have to be one of the elite players in the league for five, six, seven, eight plus years. It's not just about a couple of years. You need to be one of the best in the game for a, period of time that would be my qualifications if that was the case many players who have been getting in lately would not be getting in but where you've taken your standards i just don't see how you can leave Beltray out of this at this point joe mauer if he'd have stayed a catcher and continued putting up numbers i would say yes because he was so good at his position 
Once they moved him to first base, he became a mediocre first baseman. His numbers weren't impressive. And to me, he didn't play catcher long enough to earn a Hall of Fame nomination. And Chase Utley, good second baseman, nothing great. So to me, the only one would be Adrian Beltre. Yeah, Chase Utley, when I saw that, I was like, no. Uh, and Beltre would be my guy, too. Yeah, based on today's standard, Beltre would be the only guy. If we were going old school, like Steve said, I don't know that Beltre would actually get into the Hall of Fame with having less than 500 home runs. At the risk of, uh, of starting an argument uh, at the very end of the podcast, uh, Alex Rodriguez is in his third year of eligibility. Manny Ramirez is in his eighth year. Of course, there's the ultimate connection to performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, Rodriguez was 35.7% uh, of the ballots last year. Ramirez was 33%. More and more as time separates us, Gary, from that time and attitudes change, a lot of people, writers included, are starting to go, oh, come on. It happened. Everybody was doing it. And, and so they were all on an even playing field. And there's this, there's this push that hasn't taken hold yet to put these guys in. I'm, I'm still against it at this point, you know, because then you need to go back and you need to reconsider Bonds. You need to reconsider McGuire. You would need to reconsider everybody that used uh, PEDs during that time frame, uh, considering that these other guys aren't in. And just because these guys are still eligible this year, I, I don't I don't know that you change that logic at this point. And I can't tell, Steve, if, if, if eventually – you know, as, as thinkings change and generations change, you know, the selection committee could also put these guys in later as well uh, it, it, it is, and just relax it and say the argument again, Steve, they were all doing it. You, and, and so they were competing equally against one another. And, and I get that argument. The, the problem with these two and Ramirez and A-Rod is they both got caught. They were both suspended by baseball. Barry Bonds can still say, look, I've never faced disciplinary action. I was never officially, you know, he can deny it all he wants to that extent. So can Roger Clemens, and they're both out and, and not getting that opportunity. These two are actually caught and suspended by baseball. There's no way they can get in. I, I think it's kind of a shame that Clemens and Bonds are not in the Hall of Fame because Barry Bonds would have been in the Hall of Fame whether he used steroids or not. It's just his ego. He had to be the best in the game, and he went with it because everyone else was doing it, and he didn't want to see Sammy Sosa hitting 66 homers and stealing the limelight that his competitiveness and his ego, I believe, made him go down the path that he went down because he wanted to still be the game's best. You know, and I read a long time ago a story with Ken Griffey uh, was at Bonds's house or Bonds was at Griffey's house around Thanksgiving and they discussed it. And Griffey's like, look, no, I, I, I'm not going that way. I want to get by on my natural ability. And we saw Griffey break down later on in his career and he just couldn't play it. But Griffey held firm that, no, I, I know everyone's doing it. I know it's a big part of the game, but that's not me and I'm not going to do it. And I respect Ken Griffey for that a lot because if he had, Who's to say his body wouldn't have not broken down the way it did and he could have continued to be the kid and even put up bigger numbers than he did in his career. And that was the thing that was always pissing people off like me with the Barry Bonds story. Ster steroids don't make you a better hitter. And Bonds was an amazing hitter. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was so unnecessary uh, for him to go down uh, that, that road. Gary, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you having me today. Uh, Steve, I thought our first guest uh, was, was a welcome addition to what we did here today.
I thought Gary did a wonderful job, and I'm always glad to talk with him. I, when I when I texted I Steve it. about the idea, is Steve's immediate response was anything for Gary. Oh, I appreciate so, that, Steve. Uh, well, let we us... need your wife's brownies, by the way. <laughs> the Rice Krispie uh, brownies, yeah. legendary. The Steve Mickelson wife brownies. Um, all right. Well, next time you're available, Gary, you uh, you let us know. Steve, yeah. uh, we will talk again on Friday morning on the Rad Radio Show. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. And uh, the uh, Mixed Picks uh, podcast airs every Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. live on Rad TV, or listen at members.radradio.com. It becomes a podcast for everyone on all podcasting forums on Thursday mornings. <laughs>